Welcome to Tea O'Clock with Keller. Bring your tea and leave with more. Hello, welcome back to another episode. A very exciting literary episode as well, it is today. Yes, it feels like it's been a while since we've had a bookish episode. Uh, well, I suppose in a way we had the Shakespeare episode. Yeah. Well, we didn't really talk about the actual script as such, but... No, we talked about the, the plot, the, yeah. you know, the themes. Yeah. No, so we're bringing out the heavyweights, honestly. This, um, yeah, you're right, But on this season, yeah. No more. If, when you think of when we started out, <laughs> we were talking about those trashy Christmas films, and now we're like, Wuthering Heights. Oh, sorry, just oh. give it away. Well, it will say in the... Yes, it will. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. We came from humble origins, humble beginnings. <laughs> um, I was trying to think of a way to link that to Wuthering Heights, but I couldn't think fast enough. But no, yeah, like Heathcliff, but we've ended up <laughs> good, not evil. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. before we get into Wuthering Heights, we should do our what we've been consuming. Well, can we start with what we've both been listening to, please? It was literally the first thing I listened to this morning when I was there. <laughs> so we've been listening to Harry's brand new single, As It Was. Uh-huh. Won't be so brand new by the time this comes out, but it came out today as of recording. So, yeah, that's very exciting. Uh-huh. I kind of did cry, though, listening to it. Uh-huh. Like, not out of, like happiness out of kind of like kind of sadness but also kind of happiness I don't know you think it was the lyrics because the lyrics are actually really sad it's got yeah it's got like really kind of sad lyrics opposed to this like really kind of poppy upbeat kind of vibe to it and I think it just half asleep this morning it just hit me somehow and I was just like crying and I was like I haven't even got out of bed yet yeah I was like literally with late because that's me on the inside I'm like ah and I'm just going about my business normal, like Harry bopping around. <laughs> so, I just thought the video was actually amazing. That was my okay. favourite thing. Even the song, just that video. His outfits were just exquisite. The vibes were immaculate. They really, really were. Like, oh. I don't yeah. even just tell how much thought has gone into everything and it just yeah. looks so amazing. And I'm very excited for new music. Yeah, because I didn't know what to expect because I was talking with my housemate Bex about it. And we were saying, literally, how can you get better than Fine Line? Where do you go from here? I know. This is Fine Line. I thought, oh, I'm going to lose it. And yeah, and again, he managed to do a different sound. It's a bit more indie, would you say? Yeah. And I think it's doing a similar thing with these like 70s, kind of 80s vibes, which I think oh, are becoming. Yeah popular in kind of everything at the moment yeah. it's exciting because his albums are always full of like such a mix of songs yeah. so I'm excited to see where it goes because the thing is as well which I already said to you because I do really like this and it's growing on me but mm. it's not my favorite compared to fine yeah. line songs but then again it's only just come out yeah but anyway when we think about how when lights out came no lights up even came out I really liked it but of the whole album that's definitely not my favorite at all so if it's similar with yeah. was and the actual album then 
yeah knows how good the rest of the album will be it could be spectacular I know definitely I I think it will be because I think that's a similar thing for most albums those kind of single that's released mm. often doesn't become the most popular song off the album mm. it's it's good for it being a single yeah by itself but then there's still some other really good gems hidden in the album so. oh my god I just can't wait May 20th let's go oh, oh this I'm ca- counting down days only a couple of months I already said to my housemates that we're all having a Harry listening party on that day. That's going to be amazing. Yeah, I haven't said this one, but I also think that we should all dress up as Harry. Oh my gosh. Okay, one of you needs to be Harry, Harry yeah. Styles' album. One of you needs to be Fine Line and one of you needs to be Harry's house. I know. I'm, I'm going to tell them that we're doing that. I don't think they'll like it though. <laughs> Sorry, anyway, you carry on with um, what you've been watching and reading. Okay, okay. Um... I've been watching actually all of the Harry Potter films. I've managed to re-watch all of them within like the past two weeks. For uni, that's the excuse anyway. (laughs) I actually did have to watch them for my module. Um, But I watched them in a really weird order because I watched four and then to the end and then watched one, two and three. I think just because I knew one two and three so well I was like okay I don't need really need like refreshers of them so I just watched the end ones because I thought the end ones would be the ones we talk about more in class anyway because they're a bit more kind of gritty as such so I was like oh if I don't have time doesn't matter if I don't watch the first three but then I just ended up any time that I would like go to watch something I just watch like half an hour or so of a Harry Potter film so that's been quite fun and then I've been reading um oh for anyone who's keeping updated with my progress on girl one one another that has not changed (laughs) at all but I have successfully finished Fight Club and Wuthering Heights obviously um really enjoyed Fight Club it was something a bit different kind of saw the big plot twist coming but still enjoyed it nonetheless so yeah that's me what about you okay. I have been reading oh I think I didn't mention last time that I reread Am I Normal Yet by Holly Bourne did I I don't think so no I, I didn't because I read a slew of books for this one assignment for uni and oh, that was one of my favorite books in my teenage year like later on and I love Holly Bourne so much I've spoken about her quite a few times on the podcast and that's the first book in the Spinster Club series. And it, there's three books all about a different girl in this friendship group at sixth form. And I think it's really good for readers of all ages or from late teens onwards, because her writing is so fun, so accessible. And she talks a lot about feminism, but doesn't shove it down your throat, but it's really good. I think she taught me what it means to be a feminist. And the first one especially is amazing because the protagonist Evie has OCD and GAD and I think Fawn is really good she's done her research and it's such an accurate picture that she paints of it and doesn't glamorize it at all so Mm. I think it's a really important read but it's really funny as well and it's about relationship staging so I just 
I love that book. I really recommend it to everyone. And I have been watching, um, I've actually seen, just finished watching the second episode of Watership Down, the Netflix BBC one. I think there's four episodes and they're all quite long. But yeah, that has been very fun for me because I've just finished writing my essay on Watership Down and decided to actually watch it because I did really like the book. And it's so bizarre watching it. I don't think it works. I think it's hard because I don't know if it's silly, but how do you keep track of who is who? Because the rabbits aren't that different. Because when you see it written down on the page, it's so much easier to keep track in your mind and yeah. just see who is who and it says. But it doesn't always, because I have the subtitles on, sometimes it says, Hazel says, but it doesn't always. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> I don't know and I think also because they've had to add more events in and more drama in the series because in the book there is drama but there's a lot of walking the valley and place to place and then other stories put into it or storytelling so I think when you bring it to tv you have to bulk it up a bit more mm-hmm. but I think it's really nice reading the book about how tranquil it is and oh. um well the moments of tranquility amongst all the tragedy yeah and yeah there's something about it that I think especially with the storytelling works a lot better as a book so I'm unsure about it it's actually also really scary watching it because when you read it it's not as graphic when you have the visuals in front of you oh my god it will make me so sad oh so I don't know if I recommend watching it (laughs) So yes, that is what I have been watching and reading. Well, wow, so good. And obviously we have both also read Wuthering Heights this week. Um, it was my first time reading it. Was it your first time as well? Um, my first oh, yeah. time reading all of it. And actually I have a confession to make. This is the first time I've like ever like properly come into contact with it. Like I haven't seen a film version of it. I hadn't read the book. All I knew about it was that it involved someone called Kathy and someone called Heathcliff. <laughs> yeah, but when we did Frankenstein, I hadn't read that or seen that at all. So I yeah, I mean, you know about all of these literary greats, but um, when are you supposed to read them all? Exactly. Watch it them. seems like within the minute from like I know the end of A levels to showing up at uni to do English Lit, you're meant to have read every single classic ever. <laughs> Well, that's not possible. I could reel them all off and give a short, vague synopsis, but I just don't have time for them. No. And obviously, they're kind of difficult to get through a lot of them. With the yeah. So, yeah, yeah, no judgment from me at all. No. I mean, I hadn't really read it before either. So <laughs> I'm glad that we both have now. Yes, yes, exactly. Another one ticked off. Yeah. Would you like to give a little synopsis? Of- okay. I love how I was about to ask you. <laughs> no, it's finally my turn to do one. Oh. Okay, yeah. So, Kathy and Heathcliff are the protagonists, the star-crossed lovers, if you will. And it's set on the Yorkshire Moors and Wuthering Heights, which the person in the audiobook was saying Wuthering. Wuthering. And I'm like, oh no, am I saying it wrong? But anyway, so um, yeah, we have that and Thrush Cross Grange. Other mouthful, yeah, probably messed it up, but yeah. So, those are the um two 
houses, estates of which they live on. And essentially, Kathy loves Heathcliff, but thinks it would degrade her to marry him. And he hears her say about the degrading part. So he goes off really angry and she marries Edgar Linton. Then Heathcliff comes back and you've got all this money now and you don't know how. And he decides to take his revenge and he runs off with Edgar's sister, Isabella. They get married and he just treats her like rubbish. And then he does come out and see Catherine and then they kind of make up and then she just dies in childbirth or just after childbirth. So that's the whole first half pretty much while her dying is just in the second half. And yeah, so the second half is more about the next generation and Kathy's child grows up and that's, she's also called Kathy. So confusing. Not confusing Um, at all. Just where it gets more confusing. Because then... (laughs) Her, right, her cousin, Linton. Linton is Isabella and Heathcliff's daughter, yeah. son. Son, yeah. Isabella so, ran away. Yeah, so she runs away eventually. And then, right, so Linton comes back and he has to live with Heathcliff. Yeah. And then, right, so Kathy and Linton end up falling in love. but a lot of it is orchestrated by Heathcliff and then he essentially traps her into marrying Linton and keeps her in the house but oh and her dad dies as well yeah and Linton is also a really sickly child yeah and they're like 16 at this point so it's not he dies too um oh (laughs) and meanwhile there's then Catherine the original one her brother Hindley who is quite evil at the start, I mean, to Heathcliff, but then kind of becomes friends with him. Yeah. But he's really drunk and he dies as well. His son, Hareton, who Heathcliff has raised, yeah. ends up, him and Catherine end up marrying right at the end as well. And the whole oh, thing... Heathcliff dies. Oh, yeah. So Heathcliff dies right at the end as well. And then, so <laughs> Nellie, the servant, she's the one recounting the whole thing to... Mr. Lockwood, a visitor who is, he's paying rent, staying up. Yeah, and then he seems to somehow, does he own Thrushcross Grange at the end? Yeah. He's set it up as like a boarding house or like a hotel. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So actually, yeah, it's those two really telling the story the whole time. Sorry, that was not short at all. (laughs) No, but I think it is a very kind of weird, complex story. And I think it it doesn't help with, like, the complexity of the doubling of the names. Because also they switch between addressing them by their first name and their last name. And so many of them are called Earnshaw and Heathcliff and Linton. Well, that's basically the only names, apart from Nellie, who's Ellen Davis, I think, and Mr Lockwood. Yeah. Because, of course, Heathcliff was kind of like an orphan who they brought in Mm. and kind of looked after but he had no name so they gave him the name Heathcliff but like he didn't have a surname that was like just his name and of course his son Linton is given the surname of his wife but then so he's Linton Heathcliff which is confusing and of course then Kathy marries him little Kathy so he becomes Catherine Linton Heathcliff. I don't even know. 
but I, I I read some interesting things about this whole like name situation and how this adds in with the whole like it being a very small world and how these people are kind of just like doomed to live their certain way like Linton is doomed to be like the worst of both families from his name I don't even know interesting yeah (laughs) my first question for you is did you like it not at first okay at first I didn't like it because it wasn't what I was expecting even though I didn't know what I was expecting (laughs) because I think because I went into it only knowing about Kathy and Heathcliff I thought it would be kind of like a, a Pride and prejudice kind of Jane Eyre style, this like long confusing romance between these two fated lovers who wanted to be together but couldn't be together because of like things going on. So I thought it was going to be a love story basically. And it, I guess it kind of was, but not in the sense that I thought it was going to be. So I was very much like, when he just like runs off when he hears that he's like, no, I can't marry him, even though I, I love him. I, does he hear the fact that he loves no. him at that point? No, because he runs away first, doesn't no. he? And then he finishes the sentence. So that gives you the moral of, if you're eavesdropping, at least eavesdrop and listen to everything they say. <laughs> <laughs> um. But I think I grew to enjoy the story because it was interesting kind of seeing all the relationships between the characters. No, so I think in the end, I did enjoy it. It's maybe not my favourite of like the classic books as such. What did you think of it? I didn't like it. And I feel bad saying that because I so wanted to. And I know so many people love it and it's a really important book for a lot of people. Uh, So I'm still... I'm not going to spend the whole episode slating it. I'll just state reasons why I didn't enjoy it as much as other classics, but I still have a lot of respect for it. Yeah, I think I think I'm the same with you. Like it's very kind of middle ground. I think I'd enjoy it if I maybe had to study it. Yes, I agree actually. Yeah. Anyway, doing... sorry. Carry on. Uh, I wasn't sure whether to give it two stars or three stars on Goodreads, and I ended up giving it two. But I feel the same as you that, oh, sorry, I said that weird. <laughs> I feel the same as you that I could be persuaded um, by studying it and reading more into it because like, what you said about the names was so interesting to enjoy it even more. But oh, I think because I came to it having seen the 1939 film of Laurence Olivier yeah. with completely different expectations because I already said to you, uh, I was so surprised because the film only really covers the first half plus the first couple of chapters of the second half. So it just is their love story basically and it ends when Kathy dies and then Heathcliff just dies then as well. So I was just so shook when she died halfway through because I kind of thought, oh, maybe I forgot it wrong and they're going to carry on and like before she died. I thought, oh, maybe they're just going to eke out the second half a bit more about their married life. So she died, I thought, hang on a minute, there's still another half of the book to go. What <laughs> is going to happen? And so I didn't expect it to go down that route of being all that revenge and that evil. Yeah. And I think maybe why I didn't like it was because I expected it to be a love story. And that's the kind of story that I enjoy. Mm. And so all the manipulation at the end 
just I appreciate it but that's just not my cup of tea no I think I think I agree with you the thing is I'm not sure I like any of the characters this is a thing and I think you're not supposed to like them yeah they're meant to be unlikable I I don't really enjoy stories with unlikable characters yeah so I appreciate that that's on purpose but I can't help that I'm I'm just I'm not interested in that I need to be invested in them they need to be likable some of them at least for me exactly like I think you can get away with having a couple of unlikable characters but I don't think it's very easy to have all of them be unlikable because you need something to keep you kind of interested to keep you invested you need to be able to root for them yeah somehow and I feel like a lot of this you're like well Heathcliff is just really horrible Mm. who everyone even the people he claims to love he's he's really horrible to and he seems to just influence other people to be horrible as well Kathy like the original Kathy I didn't like her either so I wasn't rooting for them to get together because I was like I don't really like you her daughter seemed little Kathy I don't know wasn't really much to her I don't know do you know who was the most annoying character? Who? Linton. Oh, thing is, I could just yeah. It was even I loved him as soon as he turned up the first time. I was like, oh, finally a character I like, beautiful. And oh my god, as soon as he went to live with Heathcliff, I found him so irritating, especially with the audio book. He sounds so whiny. I can't. No, I could him. just imagine him this like just sickly whiny child. And I'm like, why is, why is, like, I'm going to call her Little Kathy. This is how I'm going to distinguish between the Cathy's. <laughs> I was like, why does Little Kathy always keep secretly running off to go be with him in the evenings and spend time with him? Like, why, like, is she just taking pity on him? I don't know. Because I'm, I'm pretty sure she didn't actually want to marry him. And then was forced to. But I was like... I guess she was kind of lonely because her dad didn't let her go anywhere. I don't know. I think reading it as modern readers, I know you have to consider it within its historical context, but it's just difficult to separate it from my modern mindset. And I really don't like the overall, the female characters are just so weak. Mm. And I, I know they're strong-minded in terms of being very violent, but they still just, it's the men that are just controlling everything. And I know that's very typical of so many books from this period, but it's just, I feel like it's even more so in this book. And like, especially yeah. with Will, Kathy and Linton's relationship, it's the most annoying thing how simpering she is towards him. I yeah. really can't stand it. No, I think I think I definitely agree because I think even if you're able to compare it to Jane Eyre, even though obviously yeah. Jane Eyre very much still plays within the realm of like she becomes a wife and a mother, blah blah at the end. At least kind of throughout, you kind of see that she's maybe got a bit more to her and isn't completely just governed by the men and just following what they say. She's got a bit of kind of self agency so yeah in a way that I don't think the female characters in this book do this is a thing because the only Bronte book I've read haven't been Jane Eyre 
I just couldn't help but compare them constantly. And yeah. with Jane Eyre, as you said, she I actually really like her character. She is very much she can hold conversation mm. with everyone. Um, she goes off on her own adventures. Well, not necessarily of her own will, but yeah, she's just I I really warm to her, and I like that with Rochester. He's quite gruff at the start, and but he's got a softness to him. Yeah, this is the thing: is that eventually you see that lovely side to him, and you do root for their relationship in the end, even though he's not the nicest of people at the start. And that's the thing with Heathcliff: is oh, he's just I feel like he's ninety eight percent not a nice person. Yeah, and I need him to be more like ninety percent not a nice person for me to be invested in him. Exactly, which is why I was so confused reading it because I was like, why do so many people kind of hold Heathcliff as being the amazing, I don't know, masculine kind of guy? I was like, why do so many people be like, oh my God, Heathcliff, you know, like he's on, he's always at the top of those lists with like 18th, 19th century male protagonists. People love him and I'm like, He's absolutely horrible. Mm. Why? I don't know whether that's because in film versions, maybe he's painted differently, but I don't know. It makes me really want to, because I watched that film years ago. I really want to rewatch it now because, yeah, it's so interesting because I feel like he wasn't that bad in it. I think they romanticised it a lot more, especially because they did make it just straight love story of her dying at the end and it's so cute at, well it's not cute but at the end Heathcliff goes out into the snow and then they're just found together and I'm like oh that's nice yeah, because so, yeah. even at the end of the book I think Nellie says something about how he's he hopes that uh, Heathcliff and Kathy have now been reunited as ghosts and they're kind of living happily in the afterlife together she seems to have no bitter feelings towards them. And I'm like, okay, that's a nice romantic kind of way to end it. But okay. what it also reminds me of, just very generally speaking, the whole story. Great expectations. I don't know if you've that. that's another one which I have to actually con- confess live on air um, that I haven't <laughs> read nor watched. <laughs> In all fairness, I haven't fully read it. I had to read some of it in secondary school, but I watched it all, so I'm not that well versed. I, mean, I really don't know. Oh, my I know, I know, like um, to their elements, but carry yeah. on. But yeah, I was just a bit upset because I was expecting a very similar trajectory in terms of Pip gets a lot of money and goes off and becomes this gentleman, so then he can come back and be with Stella. Mm. And I thought that would be the same as with Heathcliff. And Pip's actually a lovely person. I'm talking about him as if I know him. <laughs> but with Heathcliff, there's just a bit lackluster. And there's no subplots, really. There's no, no, it's a very no. self contained, intimate story. Yeah. I guess maybe thinking about like great expectation vibe thing um potentially you could see at the end when you've got 
little Kathy gets with Hareton, how she she's trying to kind of teach him and educate him. Perhaps he's then going to be the one who goes on to become a better person, more of this gentleman figure that Heathcliff wasn't and Linton couldn't be because he died. Potentially, that's the redemption. Yeah. I think one thing I do like about the story is what you've just pointed out. Uh, I think it's actually quite interesting to have it in two halves and two sets of generations and to draw parallels between each set of characters, like both the Kathleen and Hareton and Heathcliff. And I suppose the Lintons, maybe. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I really like that Hareton has a different ending to Heathcliff and the contrast between them. And I think that's something that she does really well is to have so many parallels throughout. And it does feel kind of repetitive, but I think it's all part of what you keep coming back to with the intimacy of the book, it purposely being so claustrophobic because mm-hmm. it is this revenge narrative and about being trapped. So it makes sense that structurally it does match that. Yeah, yeah, I think definitely. Yeah, and the text itself makes makes references to that when it's talking about the descriptions of the different characters and especially when describing the younger generation, what traits each of the characters of the young generation has, like, oh, got her mother's eyes, but everything else looks like the father, blah, blah, blah. Um, But yeah, I think there definitely is this kind of overall theme of like the entrapment, it being this kind of little world by itself. And I think even... In a way, I don't know, just thinking of this on the spot, with how the story is told, it's told to Mr. Most of it is told to Mr. Lockwood whilst he's trapped in bed because he's ill after going to the heights. So it's kind of I know, it's all it's all there. Exactly. It is just so cyclical throughout, and especially in the ending and all the deaths. <laughs> There's just so many deaths. The fox constantly repeating itself. Um, yeah. It's as if the ultimate revenge isn't even what he's given at. It's just that the whole characters are doomed to the exact same fate, I think, regardless of his actions. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that's one of the big things, how these characters are, are doomed are doomed to these ends. And I think they just all die. Having this this repetition even just explicitly by the names, the repetition of the names shows that these characters, they haven't got, haven't got a choice. And I guess you could maybe look into the fact that Hareton, he's got a completely different name. Of course, I know he's a Linton, but potentially because his name is so different to the others, it's not a repeated name. It's a brand new name by itself. He's done what Heathcliff couldn't, because of course Heathcliff had his brand new name by itself but he kind of was doomed to this downward spiral, but Hareton wasn't, maybe. That's such a good point. Because he's still aligned with Heathcliff and Hindley in terms of the all H names. Yeah. But it is, yeah, it's still a very different name. Yeah, yeah, of course, all of those three with the, with the H names. Yeah. Even like Edgar and Isabella, E, I, very similar sounds too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so there is this claustrophobic feel to it. Mm. Absolutely. Even in terms of, if you had to actually map it, 
they, they don't move a lot. You don't find out anything about what happened to Heathcliff when he went off and made his money. You just don't know. You're very yeah. blinkered as to, I mean, even the more you don't particularly see them on it, you more so hear that they go outdoors, but the majority of the action happens in, in the two houses. Which, I mean, it's literally in the title. Like, everything yeah. is contained to and revolved around the houses. Yeah, definitely. Mm. But, yeah, there's no there's no outward action at all. Mm. Then again, it's not it's not really a novel about action. No. Which I guess is, is kind of opposite to what you would expect, I think, of a, of a revenge story. Yeah. I guess you could say that obviously like Heathcliff is kind of acting within the house, acting by not allowing the others to act, yeah. maybe. Also, the perspective is so blinkered of the story. It's interesting that it's Nelly who's telling it to Mr Lockwood and Mr Lockwood is essentially like the reader. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, what you thought of the narrative form. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I actually, I don't know why before reading it, I just felt like it was going to be written in letters. I don't Mm. know why. But yeah, I feel like that would have made a lot of sense. I could imagine like letters um, maybe between, I don't know, like someone next in the generation. Like it could be... Some whoever's left like Hareton and little Kathy's child like looking mm-hmm. back on like or a diary even looking back on a diary reading it um but yeah why is it Nelly that tells it all because how how does she know everything that happened she's just there the seeing eyes for all that occurs but you don't really hear much about her actual role she's very much sidelined which is quite sad because I, I think she's the only character I like yeah, but slight. I'll, I'll go back to your whole narrative form thingy yes. in a minute. But I, I thought, isn't it interesting that one of the only characters that is the likable one in the story is the one who is telling the story. Yeah, funny that, isn't it? And and that that puts a whole other skew on how you could read it because you're okay. Maybe I'm thinking too much, but I was like, it's interesting that she's the one that we like the most and she's the one telling the story and there's the idea that she's kind of skewing it that very obvious kind of unreliable narratorness to it but then going back to the other bit I think it is interesting because she's the sidelined one she's the one who is part of the family without being part of the family so she's kind of the the outside view of the family but she's she's a servant she's a housemaid she was a nurse like a a baby nurse nanny that's <laughs> baby nurse um so i think you've got it's interesting that you've got that kind of external person to the family telling the family story but there must there must be something that made her made her stick around yeah. with all of them. I think especially when like Linton had not Linton, um Linton's dad had died. Yeah. And it was okay, I guess she was there like looking after Kathy even more. But even Kathy is horrible to her. And little yeah. Kathy displays her too. But was she getting out of it? Just employment. I need to read a letter on this. What what do people think, please? 
I think I read one thing that said this was when I was like halfway through reading and I started to kind of just read a few like random reviews and stuff that had been written on the book and one of them said that Nellie could have potentially been in love with Heathcliff but then thinking about it I couldn't see any evidence of that really when I was reading it but I was like okay that's potentially maybe a way or maybe it's just purely because maybe Nellie didn't have any family of her own so she wanted to insert herself in some kind of family form and she just happened to be stuck with this very dysfunctional <laughs> kind of family that she was in she just kind of craved being part of it potentially I don't know one thing I do think about Nelly is that she's in no interest in comparison to Heathcliff because she is obviously of a lower class as well yeah and again because it's there's so much about being lower class and having to attain a high status and how in doing so Heathcliff just becomes such a horrible person and obviously you've heard that he can you know he he is very nice towards the end sorry that's putting yeah. it so simply um, and educates himself and then with Nellie we see that she is so caring and tries to prevent so much of the tragedy within it and so I think she's um yeah like a happy medium between the two and we see like she started off pretty much as soon as Heathcliff started off but yet she is she's the one who survived it all yeah that's a very fair point mm. yeah I think that is a that is an interesting way of looking at it and a very a way that makes a lot of sense as well yeah so potentially she's one of the the better females in the novel because I guess like you say she tries to to look after both Cathy's all of them she tries to stop these bad things happening but she kind of can't she hasn't got the control she needs to be able to when she offers to run with Cathy at the end I thought how old are you at this point I thought surely you must be I know another thing you've got to run she does make a, a few references of how old she is, but I think that's kind of kind of to help us with plot, with like the time going along. But she must have easily been like 50 or so by the end. Yeah. I reckon. I just thought of another couple of things about yeah. Nelly. Uh, I think it works well with her as a narrator because as much as I said that, I think it could be interesting to read some diary entries. Whose diary is, who knows. But I think it increases the sense of claustrophobia because if you had someone that was maybe if it was a third person narrator, then that's knowing as claustrophobic because it's more omniscient, it's much more withdrawn from the text. But you need someone who can go between the houses and have their perspective. Exactly. She does just that. She's immersed right in the middle of the two houses. She doesn't belong to just one, like her job changes. So she mm. kind of changes living in either house. So she's able to kind of be a third person narrator in a first person form, if that makes any sense, which I guess actually thinking about it, it does. Yeah. I also just thought about how, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you don't even get a lot of description of the houses. No, it's, 
I think there's more description of the weather and the kind of yeah. maybe the mood in the feel of these rooms in the houses and these kind of moments where all these characters are together, but not actual descriptions of what the houses look like apart from the bits where it's talking about the doors and the windows being open and the plants and stuff. So it's more yeah. it's like the people make the houses and a part of the houses. It's just so focused on all the windows, as you say, in the house, looking out the windows, trying to get to the mall. Such a contrast between being inside the house, staring out a window, and being on this windy moor that's just you know, blown away. Mm-hmm. I know I keep returning to the same point, but it's actually fascinating. I'm starting to like it more thinking about just how incredible and overwhelming the sense of entrapment is in the novel. Yeah, I, I definitely stand by the point. I don't actually know whether I said this point earlier. But I think it is one of those, I think the more you are to read it, the more you are to look into it, the more interesting and like complex and how much more you like it. That's why I think it's so studied mm-hmm. because you're able to pull out all of these things from it. But I think just from us, just like just reading it for the first time, if like we weren't English lit students, I don't think we'd maybe enjoy it as much yeah I completely agree because now I'm thinking of other comparisons which I think is helpful to do and I'm thinking oh do you know what I actually am getting quite drawn to this now I wanted to go back and analyze bits of it because I'm thinking of placing it more in a gothic context Mm -hmm. and uh thinking about the woman and why which I know is you know a bit later on I'm not that gothic but there are so many gothic elements to that and I'm thinking there's just a lot of parallels again between those two texts and I can see elements of Wuthering Heights creeping into and influencing that text and just all of the sounds especially so many creaks and moans that kind of thing and I think it's a super interesting text of the gothic genre and especially the gothic presentation of these women and the woman being aligned with the moors and the winds. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I, I think it really can be read as, as a gothic text and as a text of kind of haunted houses and even mm. from like the mentions of ghosts and things throughout. I mean, there's, there's a literal ghost. Mr. Mr. Lockwood thinks he sees a ghost. Yeah, like right. And Heathcliff also talks about how he sees a ghost, and then there's that bit where it seems like he's maybe losing his mind mm. towards the end of the book. So I think it very like much best. Yeah. It very it very much has these gothic undertones, which I think can easily be overread and kind of brushed over. But I think they're such an intrinsic part that maybe they kind of create another kind of character, another being presence within the novel. And I guess that also links to the whole entrapment thing and not being able to to escape. Mm-hmm. And the windows thing. Yeah, all these parts are the same thing. <laughs> Honestly, it does. Yeah. I don't I don't know whether this is a very point blank overdone reading of the text that we're doing <laughs> I think for the fact that we've never 
yeah. never like analyzed this text before I think we're doing pretty well <laughs> at coming to these conclusions yeah I mean as I said I I'm looking forward to going away and now reading what people said I haven't even read a spark notes analysis or at that point I've, I've read nothing so yeah I am really intrigued are we saying things that everyone's already said I suppose it's such a widely discussed yeah uh, claim text that we probably are so yeah I wonder what are we missing a lot of things there's a lot that can be said yeah definitely I'm trying to I'm trying to think I'm like okay what can I say that isn't about like I don't know the names or <laughs> the government if somehow next year you could write about Wuthering Heights and you'd be like right can I please write on the theme of entrapment <laughs> honestly I could I need a dissertation topic again made me think of turn of the screw mm. did I say that no I don't think so no. oh I just have so many thoughts going on right now there you go, there you go, yeah. Yeah, it made me think of that and I, I know that it's completely different ghost stories but I don't know there's something about Kathy just still lingering around the house and her actual blood being there it's just so physical there's such a physical presence like in turn of the screw and yeah I don't know I just feel like they're eerily similar mm. scary it's interesting again to think about sorry I keep making comparisons to the movie no, 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 no. Um, but I remember watching it and the bit that stayed with me is right at the end of the film when Heathcliff comes to visit Kathy in her sick bed about to die and I feel like again that was fairly romantic could be completely misremembering it but then reading that in well in the book how it's just so violent it's not romantic whatsoever and I don't know what you think about this, but I also found it surprising that that wasn't the end of part one. Because mm. would, would that not be a logical place to stop it? I mean, there's obviously a reason why it's not. No, I think I think that's a really interesting thought about why it's kind of, in a way, being turned into like such a romantic story in lots of its adaptations, and I think why. Like it, I don't, I don't know why people idolize Heathcliff as this kind of romantic idol in a way, and like as yeah. their relationship as something I know beautiful and romantic. When yeah. in the book, it really isn't at all. They don't have many, if any, moments like romantic moments between yeah. the two of them. There's yeah. like miscommunication like literally no communication about kind of those kind of feelings with each other I think I, one of my problems as well with the text was how quickly they progressed to confessing their love for each other I would prefer to see more about them actually spending time together and seeing how their love grows for one another because yeah that deep that it inspires Heathcliff to exact so much brutal revenge why is it that we don't get to see that much of it and all we see really is I just say oh yeah I love him and then 
but he comes back when she's about to die and there's supposed to be this passionate getting back together oh, I really do love you and then they're just really harsh to each other and yeah also Kathy is surprisingly vindictive in you know that scene where she literally like slaps Nelly and pinches her or whatever yeah, Nelly says something she doesn't like, and she literally just pinches her, and Nelly's like almost crying, mm. and is really mean to her. Yeah, so <laughs> neither of them are likable. I just think you're not good for each other. You're by fire. <laughs> well, inevitably, look what happens. I guess it's kind of quite funny thinking about you know, like the most iconic line of the book is the whole oh whatever um, our souls are made of, his and mine are made of the same, or whatever it is. Mm. Yeah, they are made of the same because they're both really horrible, vindictive <laughs> people. But like, I guess they're fated together because they're both so horrible. Yeah. But, and I guess that's, that's not normally the couple you root for in no. these books. So it's like, it's interesting that she chose to write a kind of, mini love story between these two really horrible characters yeah and I guess maybe that just shows by like the media kind of turning this into this big oh romantic story just shows that that's what I know that's what people want and and kind of it romanticizes the 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 bad not actually that good romance yeah I don't know if it's because of big stars being in films like Florence Olivia being in it and mm. him being this half throb. Was he was he back in 1939, I guess so. I mean, have any of the actors who've played Heathcliff whilst playing Heathcliff actually looked good? Because from pictures I've seen, they even make like Tom Hardy look bad. <laughs> and I'm like yeah. I'm like at least Mr. Darcy looked Ruby. good in the Pride and Prejudice adaptation. <laughs> Sorry, that's maybe really harsh. <laughs> oh, savage. Oh, but you know what? Yeah, I think also it's just this is going to sound really harsh, but I just don't think it's a story for modern times because, as you say, it romanticizes this the worst romance. It's so yeah, exactly. Violent, so much heartbreak. And why would you want that? She's literally abused. And well, do you know what? Everyone's horrible to Heathcliff as well. Well, I mean, he wouldn't. I thought he deserves it. And does he? Well, towards the end, I'm like, you're just not nice. You need to get your just desserts. And it just—it's just so vicious. The whole thing. Why are we idolizing that? That's not something that we should aspire to. No, but it seems to be painted in that way, and I think it's even kind of painted in the way like as I said at the end with Nellie how she wishes that they all they're all resting in peace together reunited and I'm like are we meant to read this as as a way of being like oh even if there are really horrible people who have who are really mean you should still want the best for everyone and hope that everyone finds peace and not kind of hold those grudges yourself because I know would you turn into a Heathcliff by holding these grudges and trying to enact revenge on your children I don't know or is it just a way of I don't know appeasing people at the end being like oh we just hope that everyone's you know happy living the best lives in the afterlife I don't know it contradicts itself 
Yeah, I don't know if we're just missing the whole point. Is it that it's a tragedy for everyone, obviously, but they're all victims of circumstance and it's just the cards that life has dealt them and it could be very different if, I don't know, roles were reversed, there were different classes, they were in a state while, you know, obviously there's so many possibilities, weight change and so many things, but are we supposed to just feel sorry for them that because of this one unfortunate incident where Heathcliff overheard Kathy and just ran away before he could hear the ending that is all to do they're just mourning these lives that they never had and it's actually just really sad yeah I'm gonna say because you could read it in that kind of look at it it's like social commentary on the class but then again thinking about I don't know of whatever class surely if you if you heard heard something like that it's probably not the best idea just to run away and hold this giant gr- so I don't know whether it's does the whole thing act as a, as a cautionary tale for that does the class element play into it could it be seen as this like I know lower class r- ruining mm-hmm. slightly higher class or is does class just not play into it apart from the fact that you've got Nelly, who can kind of almost be invisible and kind of multiple mm. into. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's a very convoluted answer. <laughs> well, I'm wondering, is it attended as a horror story? What is the yeah. intent? It's such a mishmash of genres. I don't know quite what to make of it. Well, I've said quite a lot about it. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, but I think I kind of are very all over the place cyclical at moments conversation about this shows that either there's loads of like complexities loads of different elements weaved in or maybe it's just simply a tale being like don't don't be mean because you'll (laughs) die and be unhappy yeah yeah you might as well just be happy throughout your life or maybe it's a be mean because it doesn't matter because in the afterlife you'll be happy and reunited with whoever you love anyway so like what reading are we meant to take for this? I just don't know. We're both pulling very confused faces uh, <laughs> now. I, just for, <laughs> I will <laughs> say the audience. I want to take a moment to say I love Emily Bronte's writing style so much. Mm. That's my favourite thing about the text. It's just, oh, it's so beautiful. I've yeah. got very harrowing, lots of the descriptions, but. I came to this having read quite a lot of her poetry. I had one of the little, you know those ATP Penguin Black books? Oh, yeah. I think it's called The Night is Darkening Around Me. And it, oh, it's stunning, so evocative. Mm. And I really got that within the book as yeah. well. So she does incredible. But story-wise, yeah, I prefer Charlotte's writing. Well, the one book I read, because I was told to, that I might not enjoy that. But I think the next book that we have to read um, is Agnes Grey. So we've done a full round of all the Brontes. I think that is a that is a very good idea and I'm very up for that. Have we, I don't know how much we've spoken about Jane Eyre on the podcast. We did a whole episode when we... Oh, wait, we fully won. <laughs> <laughs> a whole production. 
<laughs> oh my god, my memory's so bad. I genuinely like I thought I had severe memory loss reading the book because I was like, how did I just forget the whole second half of the film? I was like, this is just <laughs> and then Googled it and found out that they just didn't do it in the film. I was like, thank God. I think there is one film adaptation that does in my research I read. I can't remember which one. Yeah, I do have one quick question. Mm. I have the book next to me because I thought, who knows, maybe (laughs) close reading, pick it out. But I just wonder, going back to when I said, why uh, is her death in the second volume? I'm trying to think, what does the first volume end on? Oh, yeah, what does it end on? I think about what the purpose of that was because I surely I think I think the most basic way of separating the two volumes is the degenerations yeah exactly but I can't remember exactly how the first volume ends oh, oh is it um just quickly scanning through does when, is it when Linton arrives no I actually think it's when Heathcliff makes uh, Nelly take a letter to Catherine. I think it's like he's been um, banned from the house at this point hmm. and he wants to, the letter's asking for him to be able to come and visit her. And then next chapter then she gives Catherine the letter and then he does visit her. So yeah, it ends on him waiting to see if he will be able to go back and visit Catherine. So... I guess maybe in a way, I don't know, could you, could you see that as it ends, the first volume ends kind of how it began by introdu- by allowing him into the house in the beginning of the story when they bring yeah. him in. So I guess in the second half starts by allowing him back into the house again. Oh, yeah. That's that, a good point. I like that. I don't, that I'm sure that could be developed further, but that's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. That it adds to that cyclical nature mm. of the, the each of these volumes start by introducing Heathcliff into this domestic space again. And then um, it goes wrong. <laughs> and I also suppose that's the last point at which both houses are somewhat stable. Yeah. And also there's no imminent tragedy as such so yeah I suppose that's quite happy clappy isn't it that first and I guess in a way if I don't know whether I'm right on this but surely that first volume would have been published by itself before the second half yeah so like from the narrative point of view it works well to have that as one contained part yeah. and another contained part, and it still leaves it on a good cliffhanger that will mean that people will go and get the second half. Oh, do you know what? I think you've hit the nail on the head because that is a better cliffhanger than her dying. Because then if she's dead, you might be like, right, she's dead now, it's the end of their romance. So exactly, like what happens in the films. Yeah. So actually, they leave you waiting to see what does finally happen with them. Yeah, yeah, because it's like, well, will he be let in? Will he not? Will they get together? Will she die? Um, also, I've just found... I, I didn't pay nine grand a year to go to uni. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've just located in my coffee, funny enough, because I listened to the majority of it, 
um, where I folded over a page and I did wonder because I did attempt to read it before and bless me I've got as far as page 71 however long ago I tried <laughs> and then at that point I was like do you know what and through this conversation I have grown to actually quite like it yeah I think it's solidified the the hesitant three stars I was going to give it I'm going to give it three I feel like I should go back and change it and yeah maybe instead of writing review I'll just put a link to this podcast episode yes good idea I think we'll become famous (laughs) no way (laughs) what famous for people hate I was like yeah you're really bothering us no do you I would say that I, I didn't like reading it really. I didn't find it enjoyable, but I really like analysing it. Yeah. And I respect it a lot. I appreciate it a lot. It's a work of art. Yeah. But I it's just that. the actual reading it is like, pfft. yeah, I definitely second that. I think if I was just to have read it and then put it back on the bookshelf, I probably would have never thought about it again. Yeah. But I think it's one that you gain a lot by thinking about it by delving into it and I do recommend that 1939 film as well not for if you're a huge fan of the book well if you are then you probably have seen that because as I've said usually doesn't have the second half but it is it is really fun yeah and And also shout out to um my copy of Wuthering Heights is the Oxford World Classics one and I'm so sad that you can't see what Ella can but it's so pretty and that is really gothic on the front yeah oh and it's so gray because I feel like the whole book is so black and white not because it's so bleak but because it's very black and white in terms of like you're in and you're out you're trapped you're not you're heathed if you're and all these parallels yeah so I really enjoyed my black and white cover like a black and white film yeah I like that I like that and that's just brought in another another element we didn't even even discuss <laughs> see I I don't have my copy here because actually it's not my copy I borrowed it from the university oh. library but I had the it was the penguin classics copy which had a painting on the front but it was like of this one person on these moors dark and gloomy looking there's one I don't know what edition it is but I've seen it around and the picture is kind of Picasso-esque of a woman oh no it wasn't that one no I thought you were going to say that but then I was like oh no it's not but that one I think is a really interesting colour do you have any final I don't know if it's a dangerous question final thoughts on Wuthering Heights no no, I've had enough now (laughs) we've had enough we're glad we read it it was an interesting I well done to you because we're recording this so late so much later than usual this is an evening recording the late evening one at that so good yeah. for your brain functioning I think it's worked out well today I don't understand how I used to hate my 5 to 6 p.m seminars I was like, I'm so tired it's the end of the day I can't do it and then it's 10 o'clock and I'm still talking so I'm, sure I know. I'm, I'm here and I'm like just let me in- inhale some more more Bronte. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Blonde moment. Who or what was your blonde moment this week? Okay, let me just double check. I can't remember their surname. That's fine. It's Marley. 
Marty Sumborn. I follow her on Instagram. Um, well, she is the leading actress. Is she leading? I don't know. I'm not actually in the film, but she is in Coda. Uh, Marley Matten, Maitland. And obviously Coda won Best Picture at the Oscars and Jane Campion. Actually, is Jane Campion blonde? I don't know, but um, the oh, director know, but... also won. Yes. Uh, and what? How many did they win? Because then Tori Kotzer won for Best Supporting Actor. Wait, Jane Campion direct Coda. Oh wait, she directed Power of the Dog. I'm thinking of oh my god, yeah, she right. So she, <laughs> I'm messing this up. She won for Power of the Dog, uh, but the director. Yes, the director for Coda. Um, it's also a blonde lady. Oh, wait, was that the director? Yeah, yeah, it was. She spoke it. Oh, I've got... Listen, I was tired when I was watching it, let me tell you. Because I, I did say it was in the UK. Um, yeah. Oh, Jane, Jane Campion is blonde. Yeah. Who, um, who was the director of Coda? Directed by Sean Hedder, who is brunette but has blonde bits in her hair. But a female director, I guess, I don't know, would you call her blonde? She's got blonde highlights there. I I feel like she did look blonde at. Oh, she looks very blonde in that. Oh, it was um, Best Adapted Script. Okay. Right, that's what it was. Okay, right. <laughs> anyway, all three of those women, big up for them. Yeah. Um, but uh, you talk about Koja. What a film. I say, having not seen it, but I was so, so excited going into the Oscars, watching it for it to do well. And I'm so glad it did because it's incredible for anyone who's not heard anything about it with the award season buzz. Um, it's a film that has a um, largely deaf cast and um I just think I've seen so many press junkets um and interviews and you can see in the interviews that they've touched so many people spoken to so many mm-hmm. people and it's like a really incredible film um and in an interview Tori Gotsel was saying about how his wife teaches ASL in high school and uh, the kids didn't want to do their homework until they found out that he was nominated for an Oscar and I was like yeah okay right <laughs> we'll do the homework uh so I think it's an incredible film um Marley I believe actually did win an Oscar back in the day I couldn't tell you what for um but and she seems the loveliest person in all the interviews so I think they're a really incredible cast so very exciting. yeah definitely so well done to all of them yeah very exciting massive not well done to me for <laughs> messing it up. We got there. It's late. It's a uh, long week. Literally. We're good. Yeah. Well, down. Yeah. On that note, my blonde moment goes to you. Because <gasps> this, okay, I know you just like shouted out all these, these amazing filmmakers and everything, but I'm shouting you out because oh. you completed your final term of university. Oh. And you're in the home stretch. And uh-huh. Yeah, you've been working your little butt off and oh, yeah. 
you made it through nearly three years of university so. oh my god well done ah uh, just my dissertation to go exactly. and then you're done with your undergraduate degree so yeah goes to you wanted to give you a little shout out for that today thank you <laughs> this is i say this every time but this is my favorite episode we've ever recorded i've really enjoyed this episode because we've been able to properly just try and decode and unscramble and try and make some sense of yeah of this and it's been lots of fun as well it really has been I it just <laughs> makes me surprise you but I just love literature so much especially oh, classic literature I find it so fun I love analyzing yeah. it and when and it's I'm losing my love for it a little bit with the amount of work I have to do on it <laughs> but just sitting down and having a chat with you about a completely different book that's not on the course yeah. that I've not had to write an essay on or whatever it has been so much fun I've, I've loved talking about it so thank you yeah, it, it reminds us of why why we pick to do what we do yes so yeah big big fan yeah. yes uh, so next time we'll be uh, returning to the film world and um, we're going to finally talk about Amelie which I've been wanting to watch forever me too. So I'm so excited. I literally know nothing about it. So I'm very excited. Well, actually, I think I roughly know what happens just because I've listened to the musical. Okay. So I feel like from that, I've got a good idea, but I have not seen it. So okay. we shall see how much I've been able to interpret from the song. Oh, very, very exciting. Can't wait. So we'll see you all in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks for listening to Tea O'Clock with Keller. See you next time.